This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Tuesday, 21st of February, 2023. We're back in the U.S.'s case from a three-day weekend. Uh, a little bit of a downbeat session in the markets that were open uh, yesterday and overnight. We have the Hang Seng down, at least uh, it was uh, last time I checked this morning. Uh, lowest level since uh, really the beginning of the year. This whole China reopening story is uh, stumbling a bit, to say the least, as we've discussed. And uh, we're coming into a session where we saw, let's recall last uh, on Friday, that we saw a bit of a reversal in sentiment late in the session. We saw uh, Treasury yields rolling over, the dollar doing likewise. A reversal, but it wasn't a very convincing one. And we're still very much in limbo here if we look at the S&P 500, as you can see on slide two. Uh, that whole zone uh, sort of above, well, well above 4,000, but into the 4,200 area. We need to pick a pick a direction soon, to my mind. Uh, just we're really bottled up here, and we have this sort of geopolitical geopolitical overlay and concern that is uh, very prominent and interesting today with a speech from a Russian, uh, I put air quotes around, President uh, Putin, who will be speaking in the presence of uh, China's top, uh, top diplomat in town. There's talks of the Chinese have some... Uh, some peace plan that they'd like to roll out has been greeted with skepticism. We don't know all the details of that plan, uh, nor do I think the people that are commenting on it, but there's a lot of skepticism on uh, German and other uh, co uh, people commenting on this plan. And that would likely include some sort of ceasefire and cessation of uh, arms deliveries to Ukraine. So I, I, this is all in the mix, all so important to see how China responds, especially after, again, uh, Blinken laying down that line that um, – the U.S. Uh, is uh, warning China against providing so-called lethal aid or military aid directly to Russia's military, uh, a line in the sand there. So let's uh, see what happens here. So that is a huge headline risk in the background here, no matter what happens, that we have to be cognizant of. But uh, Peter, I don't know what your perspective is as we come into this um, uh, this week here, uh, not this week, well, coming into this week in the case of the U.S., but into a new day here of trading uh, and what your, what your focus is. Yesterday's uh, equity session was quite muted. It was not a very particularly interesting one. So I've actually sorted on the one-year performance, which is basically the one-year momentum. Uh, momentum effects are still present in markets. Um, and as you can see here, the best performing by far is our defense equity basket. It's uh, up 32% and you have 15% gain for renewable energy. So it's twice the second best performing basket over the past year. And you have Bubble stocks, uh, green transformation, and e-commerce uh, at the lower end of the of that ranking, they're still down somewhat around 30% from a year ago. And I think it's a good segue into talking about geopolitical risk because um, we wrote a pretty lengthy equity note yesterday talking about the nervousness coming out of the security conference at, at Munich with European politicians and leaders, uh, also the U.S., Sounding the alarm bells, as you said, over the uh, the war in Ukraine and what it all uh, means, and also with with China. And as we, as you said, or I said, I think uh, on yesterday's podcast, if China more actively or directly engage in the war in Ukraine on the side of Russia with the uh, weapons uh, deliveries, then you can kiss globalization goodbye. Um, and to some extent, we are already maybe kissing deglobalization goodbye in some ways because the the u.s chips act we've talked a lot about that on the podcast i don't know how much it's appreciated by the ordinary uh, man and woman out there but it, it is the biggest industrial policy change in the world i think since world war ii really pulling a lot of the world's uh, very you know stretched supply chains and semiconductors back from asia taiwan china etc back to the u.s and europe it's because of national interest 
And you have this company in Japan, uh, Kyosia, that is um, the CEO was out saying, and it's a big uh, story today on uh, on the FT that they no longer see China as a viable place for 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 exporting components into the world because of the U.S. Uh, export bans on on advanced components within semiconductors. So they say it's fine if you buy domestically uh, components from China, you assemble them, and then you sell the products internally in China. But having China as your hub for global export doesn't any, make any sense any longer. And they're setting up a, a, a component factory for global exports in Japan for the first time in two decades. And I, just for the perspective, we shouldn't read too much into it because the data uh, is, is quite lagged in this time series. But it's the um, CPB Institute in the Netherlands. They collect these global world trade volume data. It's a very cool time series. It only goes back, in this case, from 2000. But uh, And the latest data point there is November. But I just thought, thought it was in, quite interesting to see that, you know, look at that very big decline. This de- the decline we had into November, end of November, in, in global global trade volume was actually the biggest decline if you exclude the uh, the great financial crisis and the dip there during the, uh, the pandemic. You have to go all the way back to the recession of 2001. And I'm... I don't want to speculate too much here because I don't think there is a real causation, but I just find it interesting that, that you have this fall off a cliff, almost you can say outside a normal uh, or outside a normal recession in in trade volume, and then you have the big pivot by Xi Jinping on the COVID policy. Maybe maybe China was really really feeling the heat from from the U.S. chips act, etc. Yeah, and uh, just a small correction. It's it's called. Uh, I think Europe has one called the actually called the Chips Act. It's called the Chips and Science Act, and the ah. Chips is some acronym which I was struggling to find here a moment ago. But it it really is a huge bill. And as you say, this whole uh, relocation and re reshoring of production and other efforts, particularly in semiconductors, it will be a massive effort. And it does mean, and it it, it underpins our whole uh, view on inflation as well as creating these uh, redundancies in supply chains, et cetera, is going to be uh, not cheap. And just to, to, to support your point there, Peter, there's a headline in today's Wall Street Journal. I'll, I'll read the headline here. It's uh, China's new weapon to nab Western technology, hyphen, its courts. So the, uh, the little blurb is that rulings have nullified patents in industries China deems important, including technology, pharmaceuticals, and rare earth minerals, Quote, it is puzzling that so many cases went wrong at the same time, said one Western executive. So I think you get a, a, a very broad sense there of what's going on here. Just take the IP and run with it. Uh, we're all disengaging anyway, and we think we can get away with it seems to be the the behavior here. Uh, so yeah, important uh, stuff. And with FX not moving around a bit, I, I've just been looking uh, at Ola Space uh, because I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and and looking at the natural gas price, it's just so fascinating to, to my mind to see what's going on there because we have the current supply picture is, is uh, so orderly and, and you know generous with some of the mild weather we've had that the spot price, or at least the front price in, in terms of the futures, is very, very low. You can see on slide five, so the black line is the, uh, is the sort of the spot or the, the forward month price uh, or spot month price in the low twos, which only was, uh, you know, to the downside, we only see below that on occasion during the pandemic outbreak when there was a collapse in industrial uh, demand there. Uh, and yet the forward price is still relatively elevated. In fact, uh, the year forward uh, natural gas future price is at its highest, except for one little blur, uh, blip there in early 2022 uh, since back many years. So just an incredibly steep forward curve, incredible contango OLA that I think speaks to that um, that sort of very, you know, uh, generous and easy supply picture right now, but still some forward uh, uncertainty and also speaks to the very difficult 
investment environment for those that would like long exposure. Because if you just get long and the and the price stays, uh, even if it rolls up to three fifty in the future, you've not made any money on a long trade because of that that negative roll yield. So it's just a very difficult picture for for those in the space. I guess one way to do it would be by trading a uh, or buying a natural gas uh, producer itself rather than trying to to mess around in the futures market, at least as a uh, as an investor. But 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 Ole, before you talk. I was just about to say, isn't it more normal that the that the curve isn't contango or natural gas because you it's not it's not in backwardation like oil typically is. So structurally, it has never over a 10, 15 year period been a good idea to be long natural gas. So I guess what we see now is more normal. Uh, I think you need to look at twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Oh yeah, but I'm talking about outside. You know, these special cases. I'm just thinking about the structural way natural gas is 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 set up. Yeah. Yeah, the market is uh, well. Looking at the at the long term uh, chart, basically it is a, a just big waves because it's very seasonal. So uh, we have contango during the summer period, and we got backwardation as we get on the shoulder shoulder end of uh, the or as we approach the uh, the peak of the winter demand, where where prices tends to be highest. Um, some of that uh, function has really not worked this year, and. Uh, and it just, as John mentioned, it just highlights the incredible difficulty in in trying to trade something that looks very very cheap uh, from a long term perspective. Um, I think the the increase in price that we're seeing in a year's time is also tying in with the fact that the LNG export facilities are ramping up uh, their ability to export. So we will see an increased demand from that front. The market is potentially also just contemplating whether the producers will be able to uh, maintain this kind of level of production, where which you can see on the small inserts on the right hand side that we have. We are we're staying on a continuous base above 100 billion cubic feet a day in production. So production has not suffered uh, despite the uh, despite the the, the the drop in prices. But uh, but generally, why the, the the main reason why we are so low right now is is the fact that it's been a mild weather in the U.S. just like it has in Europe, and that's left uh, inventory levels uh, at a, at very manageable levels at at this time. Yeah, and you have some thoughts there on the on the following slide on the EU gas market, which I, I suppose is one. One thing that's going to keep that uh, even the U.S. price relatively elevated out uh, year forward because there will be significant LNG deliveries from the U.S. Indeed, and LNG is, has become a, a big source of, of of supply into Europe uh, given the uh, given the, the developments in Russia. And uh, I just made this uh, uh, this chart just to say we we get, we're coming up to the one year anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. So basically, one year on how how have this market developed? Well. As we can see, the the gas flows into Europe is down twenty percent, around one hundred fifty five million cubic meters per day. But at the same time, that's probably more or less what the demand has has uh, dropped by at the same time. So uh, so that's the reason why we are we we have these gas prices, which currently are almost a one third lower than where they were this time last year. Gas in storage is one hundred percent up, uh, higher than where it was last year. And at the same time, uh, we got uh, Russian gas uh, pipeline flows down seventy five percent. So it just it just highlights that uh, while we were the big uh, losers early on when we were paying punitively pri- high price for our gas, uh, Russia is obviously suffering uh, significant losses as well of revenues because this gas cannot be uh, uh, transported anywhere else. Um, over time, there will increase export capacity to uh, to Asia, especially to China, but uh, that's not going to help them in in the short term. So. Um, so generally, a, a, a gas market that's uh, much more relaxed um, following the shenanigans and the volatility we've seen during the past year. Uh, the, the, the What I note is the next winter contract is trading just eight euros above the current spot price. Uh, that basically highlights the market is very relaxed about the ability to to source the gas for next winter. And obviously, that it does help when we got the storage, uh, gas storage at 64% instead of 31 
All right. And uh, rolling back a little bit uh, to where we were in the slide deck, looking at FX, not a whole lot to report. Again, that bounce uh, in these dollar, not a bounce, but a retreat for the U.S. dollar and a bounce in the pairs versus the dollar, something like Aussie. Uh, posting or finding support at interesting levels, as you can see on the chart there on the left, just ahead of the 200-day moving average. And that came after a local break to new lows there. So uh, a pretty important setup here in coming days. Uh, I think a failure below that area. And it looks an awful lot like the uh, equity market chart as well. So even though we had, for example, a relatively hawkish set of RBA minutes talking about 50 basis point rate hikes, uh, potentially, etc., I think Aussie is going to default to the direction of commodities uh, first and foremost, but also uh, risk sentiment. We also have a wage price um, for Q4 wage price data out of Australia. Before and in, in previous parts of the cycle, the RBA has really focused on wages as a key component of inflation. So surprises there could uh, engineer some significant volatility, but I think it will be up to risk sentiment in particular. And we'd, we'd be edging into some interesting levels and pivotal levels if we get down there, but 68 and below, as you can see with the retracement levels. The yen still weak on these very elevated bond yields, and we're awaiting a performance from um, incoming, potentially incoming governor, uh, Ueda, on Friday. He will be speaking before the lower house. And Kiwi week, as we're concerned, or the market's concerned at least, that the RBNZA may soft pedal any further rate tightening message with the terrible flooding that we've seen in New Zealand. Uh, the message from gold, though, uh, well, it's not very clear here. It looks like we're still under pressure. Uh, it touched below that one key retracement level, tried to rebound, but it's, I guess it's a pretty similar uh, picture for gold as for, for many dollar pairs here. Is there anything in particular focusing on gold? Well, just basically that uh, you you are calling the shots right now, John. Um, huh. the, the dollar basically, it is the forex market that's uh, that's really setting the tone. We we got the we we have had, we the market is obviously watching the yields as well, and the uh, the, the the rise in yields recently has not uh, has not been helpful. But uh, just looking at that chart, looking at the broad uh, Bloomberg dollar index, which also includes uh, currencies like the Korean won and the Chinese renminbi, uh, it just highlights how uh, how the dollar is uh, the, the dollar importance in in trying to determine the short term direction of of gold. And also, I think it's it's important to uh, to note that the market is, is still not finding any love from uh, ETF investors. Uh, we are seeing holdings uh, still still dropping. It dropped again uh, yesterday, and um, and it, if it wasn't for the underlying strong demand from central banks, uh, gold likely would trade quite a bit lower. So, uh, so we still believe that there is a, that central bank demand is still there, uh, and it's still it's likely to create a soft flow under the market. But uh, but but generally, uh, you need to watch the, the dollar in the short term at least for for direction, and then we'll we'll have to watch uh, later on if the market starts to reaff- readjust the uh, the inflation expectations, and I think that really could be the the next uh, major move uh, higher for gold. That if the market starts to come around to our belief that uh, that inflation is not going to settle in the two and a half percent area, probably more closer to close to four percent over the coming coming quarters. Yeah, certainly no signs of, despite that very impressive move in the price, no, no signs of uh, speculative energy into gold. I think uh, retail traders potentially more interested in zero days to expiry options, as we've talked about. Let's, uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, plenty more in the future. All right, uh, stocks to watch, Peter. What is your focus today? Well, you can say uh, the focus is not so much what already happened. There's a lot of interesting stories, but there was one, and I think that's BHP, we, the world la- world's largest iron ore miner. And um, they disappointed a little bit on their continuing operations on the online profit for the first half of the year. The first half ends in December. 
So they they're not following the uh, the actual calendar year. There shares were down four percent. They're saying China is uh, China's reopening is a source of demand stabilization. I, th- I think they're saying pretty much what you would expect. I think the only interesting takeaway from the BHP uh, conference call and the and the comments from the CEO was that they say they they're not looking into lithium at this point. And I was wondering wh- whether that was uh, whether they had. <clears throat> what what type of view they were applying there for the because long term demand outlook for lithium is quite strong, but I think their thinking is that you still have record high prices for lithium, so you don't want to acquire or go in and build up assets as at the peak price, which is I, I don't know is it up eight nine times from uh, from where it was just uh, three years ago, so they're probably waiting for a, for an entry opportunity in the lithium space because I I, I find it. Uh, unimaginable that the the world's largest mining company uh, won't be engaging in in lithium mining. Um, HSBC is another company that has reported earnings uh, out in, in the Asian session. They're setting a special dividend as they sold some assets in Canada, so they want to uh, to you know to return that capital back to their shareholders, and then they're resuming their quarterly dividends. So in Singapore and Hong Kong and in these markets, investors really like dividends. So I think there is a happy crowd out there that HSBC is back on the dividend bandwagon. And I think I saw BHP is yielding something like 14%, an incredible dividend yield. Uh, does that speak to their growth prospects being perhaps minimal and, and they're just reaping in the cash? Or does that have much relevance uh, to, your, to your mind? Well, I think it reflects to a, to a large extent that they are very cautious on the on the capex side. They <clears throat> and that's what we have seen from a lot of the miners. They don't really seem to be that eager in investing, and that's part of our our uh, you know commodities super cycle. That you know the they are so scared uh, of these low prices. I mean, you had almost a decade of uh, of of weak prices and 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 ever lower profitability. So they, I think, they're just extremely cautious. They want to be. Uh, moving uh, later rather than sooner on uh, on capex, just rewarding the shareholders in the in the here and now. Okay, lots of uh, interesting. Uh, we've, we did the preview yesterday of the week ahead in earnings, but I'm looking at your overview there on slide nine, and I like the uh, I like the retail names. So two two different aspects of retail. So the daily shopper and Walmart, and then Home Depot, where you're looking at people that are fixing up their homes. A very I argue a quite discretionary area uh, of spending. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Home Depot has been the weakest of the two in terms of their uh, sales and has seen declining volume, just like we talked about the other day with uh, Nestle. They had two quarters in a, in a row now with uh, with falling uh, volume. Walmart, on the other hand, as you can see here in the small insert on slide nine, you can see that they actually had a pretty good uh, second quarter and third quarter, which ends in July and October, respectively, of last year, where you could see that the revenue growth accelerated to 84 and uh, 8.7% year a year. And that was the substitution effect. We talked about that on the podcast uh, three months ago that Walmart was enjoying the substitution effect. So if you are a higher income, middle uh, middle class family in the US, you probably would substitute some of your your daily uh, journeys to some of, I don't know, uh, some, some of the more expensive supermarkets and going for Walmart just to save a little bit of money uh, while you were spending more on energy and, and gasoline, et cetera. And as you can see here on the on the analyze, analyst guidance for, for revenue uh, growth in the in the fourth quarter, which ended in January. So this is, these are very fresh numbers. It's only three weeks ago. I think that so it's a very good temperature. And also, I'm really curious to see their outlook, what they're saying. But you can see the revenue growth is down to 4.4 percent. And if you compare that with the current inflation rate in the U.S. over the past year, that suggests that analysts are actually expecting Walmart to begin to to see some volume uh, deterioration. So that that those two, Walmart and Home Depot, they're so big that unless unless 
Putin with his speech today takes over the entire uh, sentiment and the scene in, in world markets today, I actually think that those two stocks, which will report, I think, in, in pre-market, uh, can actually move the needle as well in the U.S. equity market. Yes, yeah, very interesting to see what Mr. Putin has to say today, Whether how they try to position this. Uh, are they trying to try to put something on the table so they can pretend that they're uh, they're trying to deal in peace and, and any rejection would be just warmongering on the opposite side when, of course, it was Russia that invaded them in the first place? Uh, I, I think this will be very critical for the coming days of the, where, where the geopolitical temperature heads. In the meantime, we're having uh, – this morning we get the uh, Eurozone Flash February Manufacturing and Services PMI expected to show some, some very modest expansion as uh, the Eurozone has avoided the worst uh, – of the impact has enjoyed uh, some come down in those power and energy prices. Uh, and we have the uh, likewise for the UK and then the, the ones in the US that are not very closely tracked for whatever reason uh, later in the day. A couple of Canadian numbers of interest, especially that CPI after the uh, dovish shift in the uh, Bank of Canada. That's starting to look a bit ill-timed relative to what's going on in the rest of the world. We also have a two-year uh, T-note auction, which is coming at a time just after uh, last Friday. We saw the two-year touching within t- 10 basis points of the cycle high. Um, so, uh, you know, how, how is what's the appetite for U.S. paper with five-year and seven-year note auctions to follow in the coming two days? And as mentioned, that uh, Q4 wage price data out of Australia and the RBNZ up tonight in the Asian session. Uh, so something to track there. U.S. data is pretty thin this week. A couple of home or housing-related things, but it's that January PC inflation data after the FOMC minutes on Wednesday. The PC inflation data is on Friday. Together with actually, and just to put it in your calendar, we need to note uh, uh, Naomi Katsuoeda for the Bank of Japan governor. He is out speaking on Friday as well. That's a wrap for today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>